God bless you, worship team. Thank you so much. Um, they're so good. Sometimes I just, wouldn't it be nice if God showed up in such a way where it's like, I'm not going up there to speak. We just need to continue to worship and praise God. And so that'll happen one day. I think the more that we learn how to abandon ourselves and uh, sing to the Lord with all of our heart, I think we're going to have a couple of services here where God just shows up and tables the agenda and moves. And he does it sometimes in the most inopportune moments, but we're believing that. Hey, I've been pounding this trip to Israel to you, and I'm about to bring my trumpet trumpeting of this to an end, but uh, for those of you that don't know, in the foyer there at the visitor center, there's applications, and there's cards with the number to call. We got the word out early to you as a community because we have about four pretty large churches that are going with us, and I did not want anyone to get ahead of you to take it up because we only have 48 seats for this trip. And so many of you have responded, but the time's come, I think, if you would, if you're thinking about it, the time's come for you to just step out and go for it. Now, let me just say again from the bottom of my heart, we believe that God wants us not just to be free from our sin, but he wants us to be financially free. And so if you feel the leading of the Holy Spirit to put this on a credit card and you're going to believe God down the road for the money to pay for it, like you don't budget that kind of stuff, that's not Jesus speaking, that's the devil. Or that's uh, Visa speaking to you, the spirit of Visa. And we don't want the spirit of Visa to come upon you. We want the spirit of Jesus to come upon you. And, uh, but I'm looking very much forward to doing that. I also want to say that today's service, I have one of the more robust outlines. And it probably will almost be hard for you to follow along with me as we go through this because it's so thick. But I want to encourage every one of you before you leave here today to grab this paper, not for my ego, but for your life. Because I believe if you took... 10 minutes, five minutes a day and read through a portion of this, read through the scriptures, prayed and said, Lord, speak to my heart about what you were speaking in church because I believe what I'm gonna share with you this morning is not me speaking my ideas. I believe it's Jesus speaking into our life timely. Um, God will give you some very rich encouragement and strength through this, amen? So do that, uh, be that as it may. You've got it. You can follow along as best you can here. And uh, as we follow this along, we follow into a video clip here, and uh, I'm going to take control of this, this service. By the way, can we just thank Lucas up there? Stand up, Lucas. Be seen. Lucas is up there faithfully serving. We don't, thank you so much. He helps out on media all the time, and he's so particular about wanting to do it and get it right. And I'll tell you what, if you're somebody and you're like, I can't sing, it's okay. You could click a button and do media. You can help usher. There's a place for you. And so we want you to, to find a place we believe that God wants you to believe in him, to belong to him, become all he's intended for you so that you can build his kingdom. And that helps in small, simple ways. I'm going to do a throwback here. And I bet you 50% of the people in this room will not recognize what you're listening to and looking at. But the ending to this is really key with the point I'm trying to make. Take a look.
I know some of you are tempted to yell, play ball! <laughs> Thank you for restraining yourself, for any of you who know that reference. Those of you under the age of 35 and under, I want to introduce you to what television used to be. Every week, you had to wait until 8 o'clock in the evening for one hour for one decent show on one channel. And once it was over, they ended with the national anthem and went to that beep and this screen. And all night, this is all you would get. So then they decided instead of broadcasting that, they saved money and didn't broadcast it. And it just had all that white fuzz. And it went, and that was television, by the way. You had to wait a week for one show. And there was no live streaming or anything like that. And if you, you, you didn't have, there was no cable, there was no Wi-Fi, you just had this. And if that didn't work good enough, you went in the kitchen, you got tinfoil, and it looked like that. And you got, and then you could bend the, the, the things around and, and do it. It's nothing, nothing, nothing like what it is now. Now you, you don't like it, that's okay. You can do what's called on demand. You can demand television to play what you want, when you want, how long you want. You could watch one part of your series, or you could sit through, buy a gallon of ice cream, get some popcorn, sit on the couch, and sit there for three weeks and just watch everything you want to, and then get back to the gym. That's, it, you don't like what Hulu has to offer, you can get to YouTube Prime. You don't like that, you can get Netflix. You don't like that, hey, Amazon has its own movie connection to it and it comes with a yearly membership and plus two, two days direct delivery and that is television in the 21st century. Absolutely crazy. Hasn't it changed? How many of you remember, no, I don't raise your hand. How many, just acknowledge this, this is, this is, this is quiet, inter internal, so we don't give ourselves away. How many of you remember life before the internet? Before cell phones, before cable, before on-demand TV. Oh my goodness, how life has changed. But some things remain the same. In the movie world and the on-demand world, you always have some things that are the same. You have a premiere story, a premiere movie. Take Rocky, okay? And then if that wasn't enough, you had the premiere, but then you had a sequel, Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, and the list goes on. Stopped at 4, I think. Steven's giving me the cue, or is that it? They should have stopped, probably back there, you know? And it's just crazy. And then, this is the life of a television show in the 21st century. You have the premiere, original story, then you go to sequels and then they make it into a television miniseries and in a miniseries they do seasons and episodes and usually they do recaps and what I find with miniseries is that you don't have to watch them all if you just watch about three key ones that'll give you the story as a whole of what's there it's such a different day but yet Although things have changed so much, some, some things completely have remained the same. See, in scripture, there was a premiere film about two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. And it started back in, not 1978, but it started back in the book of Genesis. You had Abraham, who then had the promised child of Isaac, and Isaac's wife, Rebekah, gave birth to two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau's life and story turned into sequels in the book that we are back on our original spoken word series in the prophets 
in the book of Obadiah, speaking about their rivalry. But what I've come to find that although this began with a premiere film in Genesis and went on to a sequel in the book of Obadiah, it's played out as a mini-series in the lives of billions of people across hundreds of years because although so many things have changed, some things just forever remain the same. Their story has become so many other people's stories for good and for not so good. To really understand what we're going to talk about here today, we got to go back in order to go forward, which means we need to look at the premiere film story, the original manuscript that Obadiah, this prophet who happens to be the smallest book of the Old Testament. Now, I have a doctoral degree, but my wife is a lot more smarter than me, and I was saying that the, it is the smallest book in the Bible, and she, just like any anointed preacher's wife, when you go home, she tells you everything that you said wrong, and so she says, it's not the smallest book in the Bible, and I'm like, yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Third John. I'm like, oh, you're right. Yes, dear. And this is, actually, let me take a sidebar. This is uh, premarital counseling and marital counseling. Two most important words you'll ever know in your life is yes, dear. Okay, so yes, dear. She was right. I was wrong. I confess it publicly. I'm doing that, actually. But we don't have that kind of relationship. And she loves being the center of attention. So let's just, let's just, let's just get even with me here for a second. Help me out, gang. Just look. No, I'm just kidding. Smallest book in the Old Testament oh my goodness, it is not a small message. So let's go back to the first original premiere film that finds itself in the book of Genesis. And let me help you come up to speed on this story. Because what begins in the identity of two men becomes national identity between two nations and gives the context of this entire book. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, help us here this day, to hear your word. We've been going through books of the Bible because we're not basing the preaching of the word on our feelings or our thoughts, but upon your word. So as we've walked into the book of Obadiah, help walk out all of its truth in our lives in Christ's name, amen. If you open your Bible to six, page 681 or to Obadiah, it's easy to miss. That's the reason why I give you the page number there. Um, or you can listen, or you can look on your phone, Obadiah, we're not going to read it yet, but I want you, you have permission to put a mark in the Bible provided you unmark it, the corner, when you're done today. Promise? Okay, I'm going to take a picture of the room and I'm going to call all of you be like, why didn't you fold that page back? What's wrong with you? Uh, but just keep your finger there, hold tight with it. I want you just to know because it'll be hard to get there again and we're just going to turn there and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 eventually. But just get that. Get it set, set it aside, and give me your attention right back after you have that all set. Here is the first premiere story where this all began in the lives of Jacob and Esau. Two brothers, two twins, they're in the womb of their mother. And they are fighting. Now, any of you who have been moms, you know what it's like to get that kick. My son was like alien, man. His hand went up. I remember one time seeing his hand go up against his mom's belly and go... I was like, oh my goodness, he's coming out your stomach. They're just like kicking and wrestling around. But when Rebecca was carrying this child, they were fighting in the womb. Fighting in the womb. 
And whenever the first child was born, it's Jewish tradition to tie a scarlet thread around whatever limb comes out first to identify the child as the firstborn, especially with twins, because if you don't, you'll don't know which, if, the, if they retract, you won't know which is which. And this was really important because Esau came out first and they tied the scarlet thread around one of his limbs and his brother Jacob yanks him back into the womb. I don't understand how babies cannot even keep their heads straight and this one's going, no! Pulls his brother. The Bible's showing us how hostile, how strong the competition and fighting is between these boys right from day one. As that goes on, since Esau was the firstborn, the firstborn was always given the right of being the next patriarch of the family. Think about this. We know the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But it wasn't supposed to be that. It was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, Esau, and Joseph. You see, there was a problem with Esau. Although Esau wanted to have his sinful cake, he wanted it to be frosted with the blessing of God, and the blessings of God don't work that way. See, he wanted to be able to live his life in such a way that he could do it the way he wanted, and then he wanted to be first in line to receive the blessings of God, and God does not bless us in that fashion, does he? And leave it to a prophet to speak direct and correct on helping frame thinking, but Obadiah just helps us see this so strongly. So here's, here's the thing about Esau, is that Esau did not value the fact that he was a child of God. He did not value the position of what you value, you protect. Do you remember in the 1970s when people used to put plastic over furniture? Why did we do that? Because they thought it, furniture would last forever as long as like Uncle Fred didn't sit on it. With, you know, it was like, why did, they, why did we do that? Stuff is meant to be used and broken in, and, you know, but we got, we got to protect it. You, know? you get a new car and you're like, don't, you know, you, we protect and we cherish the things that we value. But that is not what Esau did with this privilege of being firstborn and next patriarch. You see, the patriarch would receive a double portion, but they didn't receive it so that they could have a double blessing and just go around and buy what they want. They received it because they would protect the tribe and preserve the existence and the godliness of the tribe. And if that meant moving somewhere else, they always had an account that was ready to help them move. If just in the case of Jacob here, this brother who ends up getting the blessing, when everyone's starving to death, he sends the sons the 12 tribes of Israel down to Egypt to buy grain with the money that came from the double portion. It's not that you can just get blessed and just do that, although we serve a God who blesses us, amen? He's good to us, but the double portion was not to be squandered on somebody's pleasures. It was desired to preserve and protect the tribe. That was supposed to be Esau's but Esau despised his, his, his birthright. In fact, one day he's out in the field and they, they must have not been identical twins. They were very similar, but they weren't identical because the, the Esau, literally the Bible says he was hairy and Jacob wasn't. Jacob was smooth skin. Esau was a man of the field. Jacob seemed to like the cooking channel. You look at these guys and it's like, Esau, hunter, man of the field. 
and Jacob dwelt among the tents. <laughs> and so, early on, Rebecca, the mother of these twins, God spoke to her and said, the, the younger, uh, the older will serve the younger. And that that younger child, although he shouldn't be the firstborn, he was going to have that place of privilege. And as you look at the life of Esau, you understand why. You know, I see so many people in church life, they call themselves a child of God, but they certainly don't live like one. I remember one time God really rebuking my heart. He said, you're, a, you're my son, start acting like it. And this is the problem with Esau is, is that Esau was God's son, God's promise, God's uh, anointed one to take over a responsibility that desired him to be, that required him to be holy, to be upright, to be virtuous, and he was anything like that. One day he comes in from the field and his brother's cooking stew and, and he comes in, he's like, I'm starving. And Jacob's like, I'll give you some food. He goes, give it to me, I'm gonna die, right? Your kids usually say this, right? How many of you this past year, you went, mom, I'm starving, right? You're not starving. I've seen starving people before in the third world. You're fine, trust me. Now he comes in, he's like, I'm starving. And he goes, I'll give you some stew, just sell me your birthright. He goes, what good is my birthright to me right here if I die of hunger? Give me the food. And so they actually strike a bargain, and he sells it for a cup of soup. And what amazes me is, is us as children of God, as a pastor, I have not only read about Esau selling the privileged position of a patriarch for a cup of porridge, but I have watched Christians sell their status as a child, son, and daughter of God for much less. Not only did he do that, but check this out. The Bible calls him an immoral man. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 to 17, it says this, see to it that none of you is a immoral man irreligious person like Esau. That's kind of a strange way to describe him until you really look closely at his story. Because not only is he irreligious, he's like, ah, this doesn't mean anything to me. Just give me that. But, but, but he was immoral. The Bible says in Genesis 26 that he, instead of marrying within the tribe of godliness, he goes out among the Hittites, marries himself a Hittite girl, and not only, it's not just that he married a Hittite, but the Bible says that both him and his new wife made life bitter for his mother and father. They literally, he marries completely in a direction that he knows is, is going to chart the course of his life in, in a wrong direction. She doesn't share the values of the family, the beliefs of a patriot, that the beliefs a patriarch should be, the morality that a patriarch should be, the, the dignity and the honor and the sacrifice that a patriarch should have. But he goes out, he has a fling, he pulls in this Hittite girl. And, and then not only that, he begins to insult and taunt his parents by saying, you know what, hey, check this out. Does that make you feel bad? Look at my wife, woo, you know, and it's like, Man, and what it, the Bible says, honor your mother and father. What a terrible place to be at where you mock your mother and father. That's Esau. Not only that, but the thing that blows me away about Esau is that after all of his immorality, after all of his irreligious lack of respect for the honor and the, the character that required for him to be the right person. When it was time to get the blessing, he ran to the front of the line because he thought 
just because there was a promise declared over his life that he was still going to receive it. Hear me. I hear so many people say, somebody prophesied over my life. Somebody prophesied over my child's life. Somebody spoke a word to me or God's got a call on my life. I believe it with all of my heart, but I am sorry none of those promises are yes and amen if, you, if they do not embrace the path of godliness that God has for them. You cannot have a cake of filth and immoral wickedness and frost the top of it with godliness. Now, before you begin to feel shame and begin to feel hurt and begin to feel condemned, understand what we're talking about here with Esau is not a season in his life. It's a lifestyle and an attitude lifelong. Let me say it to you one more time. Before you start applying what I just said to your individual life, because how many of you know that there is nobody in this room without sin? Amen? How many of you know that if we didn't have Jesus, we would be just totally thrown on the curbside? How many of you know if we didn't have the cross, that we would not have mercy, which is God not giving us what we deserve? I'm thankful for it. But how many of you also know that we serve a God that not only withholds his judgment from us and his mercy, but he also graces us with things that we don't deserve, with a family, with a blessing, with a life, with a livelihood. We don't deserve it. And that's what grace is. And don't lose sight of the grace of God. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows what you're not. He knows that you're not perfect. But I'm not talking in Esau about a season of bad decisions and a moment of a momentary lapse of reasoning or a wandering off of the path. I mean, this guy charted his course and said, I don't care. I want this. I want that. God's opinion and God's stuff doesn't matter. He might have had a really great way of making it. He knew how to say all the right things. He knew how to do all the right things. But his heart was so far from God. This is a life and a lifestyle and a trajectory. And then after all of that stuff and after all of that behavior, when the time came for the birthright to be given, he's at the front of the row thinking that it's going to be his. And he's out of his mind because that is not how it works. It's not how it works. The story of this continues where eventually, because he loses his birthright, surprise, let me tell you something. I know Jacob, the story of Jacob, he manipulates the situation to get the birthright, but let me just tell you, in defense of Jacob, that birthright was definitely not going to Esau. So he kind of stole it, but he kind of didn't, because God was not going to bless that man who was living that way and treating God with contempt. He wasn't. Yep, Jacob was an opportunist and he jumps in and he, he kind of steals the blessing. Yep, no doubt about it. But the sequel of the story continues and what happens is, is later on his brother says to himself, after my father dies and the time of mourning is over, I'm going to kill my brother. Now understand what we're talking about here. This isn't about two Christians or two Jewish people in disagreement and then all of a sudden because they have differences of opinion or differences of decisions or, or it, listen Jacob and Esau they parted ways and they needed to they but this is not talking about moments of this kind of stuff we're talking about an entire life and lifestyle and listen listen he's saying I'm gonna kill my brother this man was so filled with bitterness 
and so unchecked being irreligious. He was vicious, he was vindictive, and he was a murderer, and he was going to kill his brother to satisfy his grudge. Do not misapply Esau to your life. This is how these words happen because I preach like this and God, some of us, we need a prick in our heart, but some of us in the privacy of our own home will be like, I'm an, I'm an Esau, I'm an Esau. You're not an Esau. Can you turn to your neighbor and just say, Jesus loves you? Did you do that? Jesus does love you. We, you are not an Esau. You are not an Esau, okay? Know that, hear that. You are not an Esau, not an Esau, Okay? But if you set a trajectory of your heart where you have no regard for what God or family that are godly say and you just want to check in on pleasure and check out on sacrifice and holiness and godliness, that issue will carry over. And here's how the sequel happens. The premiere with Jacob and Esau goes into a sequel. It's Jacob and Esau part two and it's called the book of Obadiah. And now it's no longer about two people. It is literally about two nations. Israel and Edom. In fact, in the Bible, there's a verse where it says in Genesis 36, verse 8, so Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. Take a look at this uh, map here, just to give you an idea. That's the country of Israel. That's Edom's territory. If you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, you'll notice there's a big chunk that's missing. The reason that that's missing is, is that all of the areas that are occupied by Israel, the, the Canaanites were as godless and as, as far from God as could be, and God sent the Israelites in and they took possession of the land. But the three areas to the right were left alone. And the reason they were left alone is because there were three relatives to the Israelites. The first two are Ammon and Moab. They are the descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And I'm not getting into that story today. It's really complex and complicated and actually we'll blush when we talk about it. But the one that I want to talk about here and that Edom and the book of Obadiah is talking about is Edom. And Edom is literally where the people of is of, uh, of Esau settled and became a nation. And what blows my mind in this story that we're going to look at is that your decisions as an individual today, your demons that you do not deal with are passed to your children and their children and your children's children. And if you do not deal with your demons and your debauchery and your difficulties, you will pass that on so far down the line, it will become a national identity. You don't understand, my sin only affects me, I'm not hurting anyone else. No, you lie to yourself, that is not the truth. Sin always hurts more people than you realize. And if you don't deal with your demons of today and declare war on them and, put, and cast them out and, and put them to death, they will become the identity of your children's 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 children tomorrow and they will become your legacy of shame. That's who Esau is. Esau is Edom, just as scripture said. In fact, the story in the sequel, this part two that goes, when the Israelites, the Jewish people, Israel, Jake, by the way, for some of you might not know this, but Jacob 
when he finally had a moment with God, a face-to-face with God, he was always looking at getting the blessing of God like his brother. I want the blessing, I want the blessing, I want the blessing. But God said, you don't want the blessing, what you need is me, and God got a hold of him. And when God gets a hold of you, your life is changed forever, amen? If you will let God get a hold of you, you will never be the same again. And the Bible says he wrestled with an angel, he touched his hip, his hip was dislocated, and this is how Jacob went for the rest of his life. He say, what happened to you? He said, I met God. I met God. I met God. Listen, you want Jesus to be center of your life. You want the blessing of God. It can be a painful endeavor because sometimes we just in our pride hold out on God and we don't want to listen to God and we don't want to listen to others. And God sometimes has to bring us to a wrestling moment with him and it might hurt and he might have to, uh, God is not afraid to hurt me in order to help me. And he touches Jacob's hip and for the rest of his life, Jacob limped like this, but he didn't mind because he says, I'm blessed by God. The hand of God is on me. The favor of God is with me. Jacob, what's, what about your limp? Don't worry about my limp. All that matters is, is that God is with me. I would rather walk around with God's blessing for the rest of my life than strut myself with everything going for me and find out that God was not with me. And at the moment of Israel's need, they came out of Egypt and they were about to go into that land and they asked the Edomites, they said, we're not here to fight you. You are our brother but we need to go through here in order to get there. We have no water, we have no food, we'll pay for everything. And the Edomites showed up on the mountainside, lined up with soldiers and said, if you put a foot on our land, we will kill you. Sounds like a family reunion, doesn't it? So the Israelites have to go all the way out of their way, almost 100 miles, in a place where there is no water. I'm telling you, because I've walked in that place at 130 degree temperature. There is no water, and they had to bypass that. Even in a moment of convenience to do good to their brother, they couldn't do it. They couldn't find it in themselves to do good. The Bible says this, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that is sin to you. Well, the premiere film of Jacob and Esau became the sequel from the book of Obadiah, but I've come to realize that when a movie starts as a premiere and it's successful as a sequel, it goes next to a mini-series. And this mini-series is playing out in the lives of billions of people across hundreds of years because the story of Jacob and Esau is still being relived over and over again in the church. And if I were to break down just the three episodes that you would have to get from the book of Obadiah to understand the mini-series, it would simply be these three things. Number one, do not be like Esau. Do not be like Edom. Number two, do not despise Esau. Do not despise Edom because they are your brother. People are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. People are the only thing you get to take to heaven with you. Now, there were times where Edom and, and Jacob were sent in different directions. But you don't attack your brother. Third, the real Esau is Satan. And he is never allowed to take his pen and write the last episode in your story. And you should never let him do that. So let me take this and unpack this for you. These three points. Do not be like Esau. Do not despise Esau. And do not allow the real Esau, Satan, to write the final end of your story. 
Don't let him on that page. Episode one, do not be like Esau. In this whole story, go with me really quick to Hebrews chapter 12. It's going to take us jumping around in scripture, but it's important. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read a little bit of it, and then I'm going to go back. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, that's where we're going. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Now, understand this. The book of Hebrews is the hall of fame, and it is also the hall of shame. In this book, in this chapter, all of the heroes of the past are listed as all-stars, but then they turn their attention to a couple of, from a couple of heroes to bring their attention to a few zeros because of the way they chose to live their life. It says this, look at that, it says, see to it, verse 16, I think it is, see to it that no one be immoral or irreligious like Esau. Really, the first point I want to give you here is the character of Esau, or should I say the lack of the character of the character of Esau. God cares about your behavior because your behavior reflects your belief. God cares about your holiness because God is holy and we're called to be holy and he says, be holy as I'm holy. God cares about the words that come out of your mouth. God cares about the actions and your behavior and he will judge you for them. But don't be like Esau. See to it that no one be like Esau, immoral and irreligious. He didn't, listen, this man did not value his position as a son. He sells his birthright to the lowest bidder. He didn't think his depravity and, and his depraved decisions would disqualify him from his divine destiny. I don't care how many grandmas and how many prophets preached over you and said God's got a plan for you. It means absolutely nothing, not a zip, unless you are living what the Bible says, live a life walking worthy of the calling with which you have received. And God only does one thing to unrepented sin. He judges it. God does only one thing with repented sin. He forgives it. God judges unrepented sin, but he forgives repented sin. Where do you want to be in that spectrum, man? I, just, I, want, I tell you what, I spend more time before God saying, oh God, please help me. Like, you know that I'm but flesh. I'm just a human being. But the man sold his birthright. Listen to this. He sold his birthright, married a Hittite, and then he thought that everything was going to be all right. And it wasn't. It doesn't work that way. Your morality matters. Your character matters. Your behavior matters before God. If you look at that passage in Obadiah, hold your finger there in Hebrews. I'm going to have you look at two passages at once. Flip back to Obadiah, page 861. Or was it 681? 861, thank you very much. All right, you're going to help me out from now on. That's your new job. All right. Look at what it says in verse 3. Here's the verse actually right here. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks. It goes on and it says this, though you dwell in the heights like an eagle, I will bring you down to the depths. Look at this. He's actually referring to the actual land of the Edomites. Take a look at this. Could you imagine trying to take that with an army? Good luck. That's a pretty secure fortification, isn't it? 
All of their cities are up on these high mountains. And in fact, the area of Petra is part of the Edomite territory from the Old Testament. And their capital, one of their capitals, Basra, is like, forget it. There's no hope for this. And there's just no hope. You can't fight against this. It's, and so they thought in their mind, you know what? We're safe. We're good. Who can touch us, right? It is a very dangerous thing when we begin to think that we're safe. Just because you're strong against one person in one situation doesn't mean that you're strong against them all. There's always, remember you used to say this thing in karate, there's always somebody out there that knows more karate than you do. They're faster. And yet, this story repeats itself over and over and over again in the lives of people. Look at this. He says, he says this, do not be like Esau. Well, what is being like Esau like well first of all it's about pride now this is important for you to catch this watch this we don't talk about hebrew or greek here to impress anyone but when it makes a really good point it does and obadiah is a genius the same word that he uses for the word pride is the same word that's used to describe the boiling stew that jacob gave to his brother esau to sell his birthright pretty intentional isn't it he could have chosen other words for it, but he goes out of his way to say, hey, listen, this is connected. This is connected. This event, this man's irreligious irresponsibility is connected to the pride of his life. It's the same thing. It's this boiling over, this bubbling over of behavior. <coughs> and it's repeated in the lives of billions of people across the world. Now, check this out. I, I read this quote, I, forgive me here for a second, but I read this quote where it talks about pride. Listen to how profound this is. It says, pride is a wonderful artist. It magnifies the small, it beautifies the ugly, it honors the ennoble, it makes the truly little ugly, contemptible, the, the man appears, the contemptible man appears large and handsome and dignified in his own eyes. Pride is an incredible artist because it paints the wrong picture for you but you don't know it until it's too late. And God says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. They say to themselves this, they say, who will bring us down? Nobody can bring us down. We're, look at this place where we are. We're all set. We're safe. And you would think that pride is the point of Esau and pride is the point of the book of, of Obadiah, but it's completely not. It's almost like the clothing that he's wearing. There's a deeper issue and it's called bitterness. To get that, flip back to Hebrews 12. Look at this. See, pride was at work. Go back to chapter 12, verse 15. Pride was at work in Esau, but that was not the real issue. He had bitterness, and he nursed a grudge his whole life, and that led him to become a vicious, vindictive, murderous man, and he slayed people with his tongue, and he slayed people with his behavior, and he slayed them even with his sword, and it was a sustained, self-sustained, prideful bitterness that declared war on anybody that disagreed with him. And now look at, why do I say that? Because because the book of Hebrews shows us this is the core point. Pride is only the clothing he's wearing. His heart issue and problem was bitterness. It says 
see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." His issue is bitterness. And can I tell you here this morning, bitterness will ruin your life. And it wasn't just bitterness, it was a lack of wisdom that was at work in his life. And let me tell you what bitterness does. Bitterness is like the stew, and this is what Obadiah is trying to tell us. Bitterness is like the stew that Jacob cooked. It boils. It goes into the innermost morsels of who you are, and it, and it, and it bubbles over, and it prides over. And, and this idea that you can have your immoral life and frost it with, with the blessings of God just don't work. But the problem is, is that rather than allowing Rather than Esau allowing himself to change his behavior because his beliefs were wrong, he entrenched himself in bitterness. He raged against all godly counsel and wisdom, and it brought him down a dark and deep path, so dark and so deep that he was willing to murder his own brother. And what's amazing about it is although Esau never killed Jacob, the nation of Edom slaughtered the Israelites. And it is a bitterness is the dark and dreadful and diabolical, insidious path of so many evils because it ceases to listen to the wisdom of God. See, the spirit of Esau is summed up in this way. When someone has the privilege of being honored by God but chooses immorality and defiles themselves and has no value of such a blessed gift, God finds someone else to give it to. But rather than owning the consequences of their choices, they become bitter and envious and they cast off all restraint of morality. You don't become an Esau overnight, but God warns us, don't become like Esau. Don't let this spirit simmer in your soul. Look at this. Go back to Obadiah. Obadiah, 681. Do I have it right there? 861. Thank you. That's why I got her on the front row. She's helping keep me on the straight and narrow. Here we go. 861. Go to verse 10. It's weird for me to talk about a Bible book where I'm not giving you the chapter. I was like, turn to Obadiah chapter 10, verse 11. But Obadiah chapter, uh, verses 10 through 14. And this tells the story of how low these guys went. Man, I've always heard it say the apple don't fall far from the tree. But when it comes to Isaac giving birth to Jacob and Esau, that apple rolled so far away from him, he wasn't even recognizable as a son of God. He was a son of Satan. Here's what they did. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On that day you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered the gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not, reject over the, do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gates of my people in the day of their 
calamity. Do not gloat over the disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot the wealth, their wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroad and cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. And the bitter rivalry that started with two brothers and one of them who was so filled with wickedness and sin and no regard for God turned into two nations that became so godless and so far from God that they were willing to kill their own brother when they were running for their own life. And not only that, for sport, they handed them over to the people that they knew would torture them. This is, we're not talking about disagreements in the church. We're not talking about decisions in the church. We're talking about vindictive, vicious, maniac murder, just as, as bad as it can get. Esau nursed a bitter grudge so long that it became a national identity. Can I just tell you something? Your unresented, your unrepented sin can and will impact generations. Your immoral cake cannot be frosted with God's blessing. He does not work that way. The only sin that God, the only, the only thing that God does with unrepented sin is judge it. The only thing he does with repented sin is, is he forgives it. How many of you are like, man, just put me at the front of the line. Lord, whatever I did, I'm sorry. Forgive me for saying what I said, for doing what I did, for being what I am. Change me, God, forgive me. And God looks at us and says, mercy, I won't give you what you deserve. And then if you're bold enough, you can take it a step further and say, God, I'm not worthy, but I'm not worthless. You died for me. Lord, would you bless me so that I could be a blessing for others? Would you gift me that I could give that gift to others? Do you think that this worship team up here is some bunch of holy rollers that are just amazing people? No, this is, this, this, this platform is filled with all kinds of people who used to live their life one way, but no longer, hear me, no longer live that way, and they're living it another because God not only forgave their sin that they repented of, but he graced them with gifts to bless many people. How many of you want God to let, let that be your story? Here's the incredible thing about God's judgment on Esau. One of the things that just blew my mind is, is that and this is a sign too where the spirit of Esau is coming under judgment wisdom wisdom is taken away it says this Obadiah chapter uh, verses 8 and 9 see I'm already doing it I will not uh, will I not on that day declares the Lord destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau and your mighty men shall be dismayed O Teman so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off and slaughtered. Now that's really loaded because you don't have the inside track. Here's the inside track. Why do they say Teman? Why are they talking about wisdom? Because the grandson of Esau, his name was Teman. And here's a, here's a connecting dot that most people don't catch. The name, the, one of the friends of Job when he was suffering that showed up to bring him comfort was a Temanite, a man who was known for wisdom. And what's amazing is, is in the book of Job, when God finally shows up, it says this in chapter Job chapter 38, verse 2, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Elphaz, the Temanite, from the city that we're talking about, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job. Do you know, I've come to find out that a lot of times, and I say this in church leadership all the time, is that oftentimes you will have 10% of information that nobody else will have. And if you knew that, it would change everything. 
You know what I've come to find? God has a million pieces of information that you and I never see. And in justice and righteousness, he's so patient with us when we don't understand. My wife, I think I'm going to write a second book of Proverbs because from time to time she says some pretty smart things. And I know she loves to be the center of attention, so I'm doing it to her again. But the other day, we, were, we, we had just read through a portion of Obadiah, and my wife just randomly said this. She said, if Solomon was so wise and smart, why did he do so much stupid stuff, right? Wisest man in the universe, why did he do such stupid stuff? It's because wisdom is not enough. Wisdom is not enough. Jeremiah 49.7 says, is there no longer wisdom in Teman? Look at this in Job chapter 12. It says this, he deprives the speech of those who are trusted and uh, takes away the discernment of the elders. He takes away understanding from the chiefs and the people of the earth and makes them wander in, in pathless paths. If Solomon is so smart, why did he do so much stupid stuff? It's really simple because wisdom is not enough. The book of Proverbs is not a book of wisdom. The book of Proverbs, actually, here it is. The book of Proverbs is about finding the right woman for your life and avoiding the wrong one. That's why it ends with Proverbs 31 and that wise woman. But it gives all kinds of wisdom in life because how you conduct yourself between the pages of the story and the final chapter all have to do that your behavior reflects your beliefs and wisdom matters. And if you look, Proverbs begins and says, get wisdom, get knowledge get understanding. You might have wisdom, but you might not have all the knowledge. You might have wisdom and knowledge, but you might lack the understanding from heaven's perspective. And God comes down to the Temanites and he wipes it away and says, you know what? I'm going to hand you over to the enemy. One of the things that I tremble over is that God would ever remove his presence from my life in such a way that I would see my end before I ever realized that I stepped right into it. That's what happened with Esau. Don't be like Esau. Always know, oh God, you're wise and I'm not. Oh Lord, help me not to nurse a grudge. I remember one of my pastors said this, you can nurse a grudge your whole life, but it'll never heal. Bitterness, according to Hebrews 12, see to it that no bitter root like Esau rises up among you and listen, defiles many. Your bitterness is contagious. Your holiness is not contagious. You can only get a hold of God for yourself, but your bitterness, you can spread through a community like a disease. And you can say sorry all you want, but after that, you've infected tons of people. That's the spirit of Esau. Second thing, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up at this time. Second thing is this, in the episode here of the mini-series of Obadiah, do not despise Esau. Listen, let me make this very quick, this point. It doesn't have to be large, but it's just very brief. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 7. You shall not abhor or despise an Edomite. Why? Because it says right in the verse, for he is your brother. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Let me tell you something. Many people are trying to fight the fight this way, and it actually needs to be fought this way. Because Esau is not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. People are not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. 
and many problems, the reason why they're not worked out this way and they're not worked out with this and they're not worked out with this is because it was never about a battle to be one like this and like this. Your, your perspective, at the end, it was all about that in the heavenlies. Demonic evil was undermining your life and trying to keep you from the promises and the blessings that God had for you. You got duped. My wife and I don't do this well, but we always talk about this. Fight your problems, not each other. Fight your problems, not each other. And I bring all of this to one final point in the final episode of this story. Do not let Esau, the real Esau, Satan, write the last page of your story. He doesn't have that right, but he'll take it if you let him. Let God do it. That's kind of a strange point here, but let me explain to you why. If you read the last section of Obadiah, it's so clear. Listen to this. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. A house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Verse 18, the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau the stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivors for the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. Those who live in the Negev shall possess Mount Esau and those in the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. What's crazy about this list that I'm reading off to you is that if you look on it on a map, when Israel was in the time of the book of Obadiah, they no longer had possession of everything that God had for them and for their life. The Philistines had the coast. The Hittites had a section. The Phoenicians had a section. In other words, the promise and the things that God had for their life weren't theirs because the enemy took possession of them. Those that were in the south in the Negev will possess Mount Esau. Those in the Shephelah will possess the land of the Philistines. Those shall possess the land of Ephraim, the land of Samaria, Benjamin, and Gilead. The, those of this host of people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. And it goes on and on and says this, the survivors shall go up to Mount Zion and shall rule over Mount Esau. And a verse that's found in Revelation says, and the kingdoms shall be the Lord's. It says it in Revelations like this, and the kingdoms of this earth shall become the Lord. You see, God has promise and blessing for your life, but you have to lay seas of it, and you can't do that being an Esau. You have to be a Jacob. You have to wrestle for this thing. You have to fight for it. And listen, I'm telling you right now, the promises of God for your life are yes and amen. God says it like this, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. But Jeremiah, right after that, says this, but you would have none of it. I don't care who prophesied over your life and who prayed over your life or what feeling you had over your life. You need to persevere in your walk with Jesus. You need to wrestle this thing out like Jacob because if you don't wrestle it like Jacob, you reside your life to become an Esau. And all the blessings that could have been and should have been yours are no longer yours and they'll be handed over to somebody else. It's worth fighting for. You gotta fight for this. You gotta fight your attitude. You gotta fight your tongue. You gotta fight your bitterness. You gotta declare war on your carnality and on your 
your inclinations. You got to look at the things that were bringing you pleasure that are not the blessings of God and saying, you know what, I've enjoyed this. This has been nice, but this isn't the blessing of God. And I can't have my sinful cake and have it frosted with the blessing of God. Adios, amigo. I want what you want for me, Jesus. Whatever that looks like, whatever it costs, just give it to me because you have territory for me. You've got blessing for me. You want me to possess everything that I have for me and I'm not going to get it handed to me. I need to wrestle it out in prayer. Jesus gets to write the conclusion of your story if you'll just let him, if you'll hand him the pen, if you'll let go of your bitterness, if you'll let go of your, 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 your envy and your jealousy. You know what I used to think? Envy and jealousy, like what's the difference? You know what jealousy is? Somebody has something that you want and you'll do whatever it takes to get it. But you know what the twin to that is? The Esau to, to jealousy is envy. Envy sees something that somebody else has and it's not that they want it. They just want to make sure that you don't get it. That's the kind of man that Esau became. How many of you want everything God has for your life? Can I speak to you as a pastor? Recently, I've been surveying people and I've been asking this question, how much do you pray each day? How much do you listen to God and his word? See, we've got a friend from the Bible college. His name is Matt Tulos. He's an MMA fighter. People are like, hey, do you like baseball? Do you like football? And I'm like, no, I like MMA. If I were to go up to Matt and say, Matt, don't worry about pushing weights. Don't worry about running. Don't worry about sparring or anything like that. Just forget it. Just like for the next 10 years, just show up to the fight because the victory's yours, man. You've got this victory. God's given you the victory. Just don't worry about working out and don't worry about running and keeping yourself in shape. The victory is yours. You don't need it. God's blessed you. And Matt all of a sudden decided that he's not going to go in, into training. He's going to go into Netflix series for the next 10 years. What do you think is going to happen to him when he shows up in that ring? He is going to get knocked all over the place from one end of the fight to the other. And I say this to you lovingly, but I felt like the Spirit of the Lord told me to say this to you as a community. Some of you are in the middle of a fight and you can't even pray two minutes. You can't even read God's word for two minutes. How do you think that that story is going to go? How do you think that that story is going to end? How do you think that legacy is going to continue in the lives of your kids? I could end the story right there. I could tell you what's going to happen. No, you know what? We're not those people because Satan does not get the right to write what we have and don't have and what we can and can't do. Jesus gets that right in my life and he can have it in yours if you persevere, if you lay hold of that which Jesus died for for you. How many of you want everything that God has for you? How many of you want to overcome evil? How many of you want to be free of the things that are holding on to you? If that's you, stand to your feet. And we're going to have the worship team begin to sing. And I'm going to ask the leaders and the elders of the church if you'd come forward. And if you're here today and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not an Esau. But I got some territory that he took away from me and I want it back. I want it back. Listen, you are not alone. You are not in this fight alone. This is a church. Listen, you can't do Jesus without doing church because nobody was meant to do this on their own. We are better together. That is why God set up 12 tribes of Israel because you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. 
And that's the sentence we send, that's the message that we're sending to Satan today. You may have taken away good things. You may have built a high lofty place, but you know what? God looks at the enemy today and says, you know what? You think you're safe up there? By the power of prayer and by the power of God's people, he falls down today. If that's you, and you're saying, I want what God has for me, and I want it back. I want that relationship he said could be mine. I don't care what the first 20 verses of Obadiah in your life have looked like. That one verse changes that whole story. That one verse changes it. Amen? Father, right now in the name of Jesus, help us to know that pride never did good for anyone. To sit back and say, I don't want anyone to see me. I don't want anyone to know I have a problem. Lord, that, that pride, that's exactly where the enemy wants us to stay. But if we would step out in humility today, and we would step forward and we would realize, Lord, that we are not our own, that if the devil messes with one of us, he messes with all of us. Father, today I pray at this altar that people would receive back the inheritance and the blessing that's theirs, that they would leave behind the things that will disqualify and hinder them from the purposes that God has for them. Lord, today, let this altar be an altar of inheritance and may we receive it early in our lives by the glory of God. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you right at this point, get up, walk forward, get everything that God has for you. And then after you're set, whenever you feel released, those of you that are in the pew, you need to get your kids, you're welcome to do that quietly and respectfully. But come and get everything that God has for you. Are you with me on this? Are you sick of what the devil's stolen? Do you want it back? Get it back in prayer. God bless you.
Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing over your people. I pray that every single inch of territory the enemy, the Esau of this world has taken from them, that right in the heavenlies to now, right now, right in this moment, that something would break by the power of your spirit, that the devil's reign and rule and grip and hold would be released by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'd begin to flood our hearts with your hope, with your joy, with your peace, with the anticipation of a future, not dreading it, but with excitement for the good things that you have for us. You know the plans that you have for us, Lord. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. And wherever that land may be, wherever in the territory it falls, we will thank you for what you've done, Lord. We give you all the glory and the honor and praise. May your people go blessed and with the spirit of Joshua to take back what is theirs, with the spirit of Jacob to wrestle through and get all that God has for them, but most importantly, that God would get a hold of us, that we would do what you bless and not ask you to bless what we do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. And we will see you here next week.